Hey, and welcome to episode 50 of the Thodcast. My name is Philip. I'm coming to you from Minnesota, northern Minnesota. And then I'm also joined by three people today. Uh, last week, we talked about Avatar The Last Airbender. Today, we are talking about Mulan from Walt Disney Animation Studios, their 1998 film. But going around the horn, today I'm joined by my brother Dawson once again from southern Minnesota. I'm also joined by Hannah Lee Smart and Jody Pulaski. Hey, how are you guys doing? Uh, it's so wonderful to have you back on the show. We're doing so <laughs> We're a little bit rusty at this because we have been kind of MIA during this whole COVID thing, but I am so excited to be coming back and especially coming back with such an iconic movie like Mulan. And I know Hannah's excited too, so like I'll let her speak next. <laughs> We're all so excited about Mulan. It's so amazing to be back on the Thodcast. We've sure missed it. Like we've missed lots of stuff, but this is definitely something that we can stay home with. Well, I'm so glad to have our resident princess experts on the show today. Uh, one, of our, one of our first Thodcast episodes was going through our entire list of ranking the Disney princesses. It was uh, Dawson, Yumi, and Jody going through our lists. And um, now we are finally getting around to discussing Mulan, uh, dedicated, you know, her own episode this week. And uh, how exciting is this? Mulan, uh, she debuted back in 1998, that was 22 years ago, in a film directed by Barry Cook and Tony Bancroft, uh, two guys who uh, for whom this would be their only feature uh, under the uh, Walt Disney uh, umbrella. And uh, yeah, this film was made entirely at a, sort of a satellite studio where uh, Hollywood Studios is currently located in Florida. And um, it was kind of a surprise hit because uh, it was the first film fully produced at that studio, at Disney MGM Studios in Florida. Kind of fun fact there, but um, yeah, um, I'm I'm curious to hear from either Jody or Hannah. Uh, what is your perspective on Mulan as a Disney princess? So Mulan is actually my niece, her favorite princess, and we were talking about Mulan yesterday because I really needed her 11-year-old expertise before I came on the podcast. I think Mulan is definitely an underrated princess. When we're doing um, like meet and greets and stuff, kids don't normally gravitate towards Mulan, and I wish they did because they think in the princess realm, she's definitely a stronger, more bold figure that sets better lessons than, you know, Ariel's my favorite princess, but like she gave up her voice for a man and like her legs and like all of these things, what's going on. So I just think Mulan's a really great example for kids and the fact that she decides her own destiny in a way and is there to help her family. I think there's lots of different lessons and the fact that she helps kids um, to relate to a different culture. She is the only Disney princess from China, which is a really great way to have kids aware of different cultures and different diversities. And I hope that we have another princess from that area 
in the near future, just because I think Disney does need a little more diversity in their princesses. Yeah, bouncing off of Hannah, I don't remember where I put Mulan when I originally had my like top favorites, but I know as a child, I didn't really gravitate to this movie simply because it didn't have like the most like romantic storyline, which I thought was really fun as a kid. But now watching it as a 28 year old, I am obsessed with this movie, not just the music, not just the storyline, but her like personal journey is so amazing from her wiping off her makeup to like discover herself and like just really digging into like authentic, like human being, not like boy, not like girl, not like warrior, not like princess, but just like who she is and what she brings to the table. I watched it today and now I'm honestly so excited because like the live action's coming out and I wasn't super excited at the time about it. But now that I've rewatched the animated, I'm so excited to see what they do with a live action as well. But I, I wanna echo Hannah. I agree. She is a character that represents, you know, the Asian culture and we need to see more of that. So I'm excited she's getting a little more attention this year. And I'm kind of sad that I slept on her when I was like mm -hmm. nine, but I'm happy I can like her now. That's awesome. Well, yeah, <laughs> we are getting a live action movie and that launches on Disney Plus on Friday, September 4th. Uh, and I'm excited for that. Um, it comes at a little bit of a premium. It's kind of a new situation for Disney where um, it's going to be available for an added price of uh, $30, basically an add-on on Disney Plus. Uh, but I think you get to keep it as long as you have Disney Plus. So that that is, <laughs> uh, no pun intended, a plus for, for paying that extra premium for the film. Um, you, you guys, I, I'm hoping we can talk about uh, the live action Mulan um, as soon as that becomes available. But uh, yeah, uh, you guys, um, I don't know, Dawson, are you uh, anticipating the new live action film or do you think the original will be uh, really the only definitive version for you? I, in fact, this is, is the live action adaptation I am the most excited about and was the most excited about from the beginning. I really hope I'm not contradicting something I might have said five years ago, maybe said something stupid like Beauty and the Beast is the one I'm most excited about. I think just because Beauty and the Beast has always been my favorite and I really wanted to see like a, a shot for shot remake and then we got something. Um, but it, so that I might have at one point said I was most excited for Beauty and the Beast, but in reality, Mulan, this is a live action adaptation. Yes, I'm, I'm most excited about. Yeah, it's interesting to be seeing a, such a heavily action-oriented film being adapted from animation. Um, Mulan it was released at a time when most of the films coming from Disney Animation Studios and most animation studios aimed at kids uh, were, were rated G. It was almost seen as like a, star, a scarlet letter to be rated PG at that time. Uh, like I know Jody and I were recently talking about watching movies in like elementary school. <clears throat> and I, I think our school had a policy where we could only watch G rated films. Yeah. Um, and now this new one, it's, it's really uh, officially rated PG 13. Oh, thank <laughs> the Lord. Oh. I'm, I'm thrilled. Absolutely thrilled. Um, this is the Disney film. I think, most deserved or earned a live action treatment, this particular story, I think um, can 
uh, benefit from live action treatment. It's, it's a story I would like to see told in live action anyway, just as a, as this ancient folktale about a warrior in this grand, um, grand epic scale war situation. That's, um, I, I love, I love giant, I love war movies. I love swords. That's why Mulan has always been one of my favorite films. And I can't remember where I ranked Mulan as a, as a Disney princess, because she's not really a princess. Um, so that's, she's sort of, it was cool to hear you guys talk about your perspective on her and she doesn't fit any kind of typical mold. Um, but she uses a sword and she wears armor and she goes to battle and she blows up the Huns. And so like everything, when I was a kid and watched Mulan, I was wild about everything happening and I'm, so excited to see um all these warriors in uh the, the the production design i'm thrilled for to see like a realized ancient chinese world from the costumes to the architecture to the landscape and yeah yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah oh yeah well uh, jody you had a good point about mulan having some good thematic substance surrounding you know stripping down a person to their humanity rather than you know, their cultural expectations that are thrust upon them. And, uh, you know, you and Hannah uh, both work in professional cosplay industry and you do cosplay uh, events uh, with Disney princesses, uh, you know, costume characters. And I'm assuming um, you often have someone portraying Mulan, is that correct? Yeah, we definitely try our best to have her represented at our events because kids do recognize her. She's not on a ton of merchandise the way, you know, those Renaissance princesses are or like obviously Elsa and Anna. But the kids who do like her, love her, like Hannah was saying, her niece is a huge fan. I would say that, you know, there might only be one or two kids in the crowd that are dressed like Mulan, but they're like 100% there for her. And like, they love the dragons, they love the music, they love the fireworks. And so we have to try to like get her there for those fans and again, getting that representation out there. And just kind of us, when you were, Jody was just talking about the merchandise, I do think Disney branding really does play a role in the princess that the kids of that generation are going to love the most. So Jody and I both love Ariel the most. And that's because when we were little girls, Ariel was pushed and pushed and pushed, much like Elsa and Anna are now. Like, yes, Frozen is a brilliant movie, but kids don't know cinematics. They just know, like, Elsa has powers and, like, a good voice and, like, whatever. And she's on a t-shirt. Right. And she's on my shirt that my Nana bought me. Like, that's what the kids know. So <laughs> when we were in California, um, Jody and I honestly spent hours looking for a Mulan thing to give my niece. And she specifically wanted this fan and we ended up finding it, but we were there for what, 10 days. And we found (laughs) at Disneyland. Are you kidding me, Disney? Like, come on. So I just think they do play an integral role in that. And now that they're pushing more Mulan merchandise, I hope kids do fall back in love with her. And for someone like my niece, she's just rolling in the merch (laughs) now, but (laughs) often she has nothing to pick from. I think we'll definitely see a resurgence in her popularity. We've seen this with all of the other live actions. You know, you walk through Target and you see that Princess Isle. Even though Mulan is going to be rated PG-13, they are bringing back her little dolls, her little dresses, stuffed shoes, and that's going to bring a resurgence of interest and popularity back to her movie. And it's I'm really thankful for Disney Plus because it's so easy for kids to just click right back in and watch it without, you know, their parents having to go out and buy the DVD. So I'm guessing we're not the only ones watching Mulan this month. I'm guessing a lot of other little kids are getting interested in it as well. 
Yeah, I was very glad to see it was on Disney Plus, you know, that they weren't like trying to, I don't know, make people have to pay for a rental on Amazon or something um, in, in the lead up to the, the new film. I, one quick, I don't know if this was the case for the rest of you, but when I went to on Disney Plus today to watch a Mulan, it wasn't on the homepage. Um, it, and when I typed the letter M into the search bar, it wasn't in like the top 20 things to come up, which I found very bizarre. Weird. MU, I guess. You'd think that would be on the homepage yeah. to hype up the new one. That was, so uh, maybe it was just my what my particular server was showing me at one time. I, I don't know how these things work, but and maybe I didn't scroll down enough or whatever. But because yeah. they were definitely promoting the live action film in a big like premiere access banner. But hmm. right next okay. to it, you'd think would be like, watch the OG. <laughs> and the OG came out in like 1994, right? So if you put that in our um, so it's like 30 years old. 98. Oh, OK. Which is funny because that's actually closer to when we were born than Ariel. We're like 92 and 93. So you'd think that we would really love Mulan. Mermaid was 89. So yeah, we were like, oh. I mean, we were at least <laughs> going to movies at the time that um, Mulan came out. Certainly. I feel like I remember seeing it in theaters. Mm -hmm. No, uh, yeah, I remember seeing it in theaters, certainly. But I will say, I'll Make a Man Out of You was my favorite mm -hmm. song. And if I was any Disney character, <laughs> there I'll be. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I have to pull up my list from our Princess episode, just to see where Mulan did rank. I I'm guessing she was fairly high. If she wasn't in the top half, I don't know why. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say the same thing. If she wasn't. I'm, I'm not I'm not sure she should have been because she has a sword it, yeah and this 1998 was sort of the waning days of the Disney renaissance you know you had the huge uh, performance by starting with um, Little Mermaid in 1989 and then uh, of course following it up with Beauty and the Beast in 91 Aladdin in 92 and the Lion King, which grossed nearly a billion dollars back in 1994. And then after that, it was just sort of a string of disappointments. Uh, this movie made $304 million at the global box office on a $90 million budget. So very, very healthy amount there. Um, it was a little smaller budget than some of the other films that were being produced by sort of the the A-team at the time uh, back in Burbank. But yeah, this was offered to uh, kind of newcomer directors and um, wasn't held to quite the same standard as maybe some films um, that had grossed more but were expected to perform a lot more like Pocahontas or um, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, both of which grossed slightly more than this one did globally, but were also produced at a higher budget and had some of the, um, you know, the A talent, you know, the, the Menkins, the um, uh, Stephen Schwartz's, you know, working on, on those films. Yeah, Donnie if, you didn't, if I didn't know the numbers to back that up, I would have no idea why any of those films are disappointments you know watching them all just you know in one lifetime yeah. it's like they're all I, I hold them all on a relatively equal degree of quality 
Um, except as a kid, I definitely didn't enjoy Hunchback in Notre Dame because I couldn't follow the story very well. But no, I adore it now. I just looked it up and uh, Hercules came out in 97. And I feel like I watched that a ton. Yeah, same. I have an older brother and a younger brother. So like, guess who is getting like lifted around the yard while they pretend <laughs> to be Hercules? Yeah. <laughs> I can safely say I enjoyed this film more than Hercules. Yeah. I liked it this time a lot. Like I said, I was saying like as a kid, I wasn't like the biggest fan. But this time, like honestly, I was captivated very from like the, the opening scene as as just its own thing is iconic like starting with the watercolor painting beautiful i obviously didn't appreciate that as a nine-year-old but now i'm watching it i'm like wow what a great way to tie in this traditional you know asian skill cultural like i'm probably like saying the wrong thing but you know like right away you get into this like beautiful feeling of this asian culture and like the music playing and they're like creating the scene right before your eyes and i was like this is so good. This is so masterfully done. Like these movies, like Dawson said, we're lucky that all these movies were made in our generation. Like we're so blessed. It's such a great film. It, just from the very beginning to the very end. Um, I know like you talked a little bit about that in your notes, but I kind of called that right off the bat. I was like, oh, I need to mention how cool the opening scene is with the, the dripping ink and that style right off the bat. I'm glad you mentioned that too. I don't, I, quickly, I don't want to sound like I was more cinephilic viewer of cinema as an as a nine-year-old than you were but i actually that is every time i watch the movie i i did feel like this really powerful emotional stir within me when the calligraphy and the music starts um there was something so unique that was unlike any of the disney movies and unlike anything it had this ethereal otherness quality to it um that I always looked forward to, like every time someone was like, we're going to watch Mulan, I would like remember that opening bit and be like, oh, I love how this thing starts off. And then it goes right into that to, you know, the Great Wall, which is one of the coolest things ever. And uh, yeah, the that opening of all the grappling hooks getting launched over the wall and Sean Yu's intro, it, it's just so badass. Um, yeah, In, anyway. It was originally planned to have a puppet animation sequence at at the opening sort of a, a sequence of narration and i was like it's been a little while since i've watched this movie straight through and i was sort of relieved to see just how quickly they got into things uh, and and they went uh, you know they skipped the you know over elaborate narration that they could have gone with um really great example of show don't tell contrasted i think dawson especially with like the m night Shyamalan last airbender but that's an example of how you can really go wrong with this type of thing they really nailed it with mulan the visual the minimal visual storytelling is is brilliant in this film um there's a moment i love today and I, I my wife and i both like we talked about it right when it happened but when after she's been dolled up during bring honor to us all and she gets in line with all the other girls and they're all you know moving in unison and she is looking at them and like checking what they're doing and mimicking them i she, we both love that where she was my wife was like that is so real like what is everyone else doing because and it, it just tells you in such a brief amount of time that she's not like these other people she's different she feels different she acts different and um yeah you know they didn't they, i don't know they just they get so much about who she is across in these fun little visuals that are really relatable 
Each a perfect porcelain doll. That's a, a line from that song. Mm. Um, I, I don't know. The, there was a cameo, it looked like, even though this movie wasn't directed by Ron Clements and John Musker, who did uh, Little Mermaid and uh, Aladdin during the Renaissance, and then they also uh, directed um, Hercules. But they, they often show up in their films uh, in cameo form. And I think the two guys who are at that go table um, are, are, the, uh, are supposed to be a reference to the famous Disney directors, Ron and John. I, and I thought that was a, a fun question. It, well, okay. So I didn't, I didn't know they were Ron and John, but what I did wonder and wanted to ask you guys about is, are those go players, the chess players in Emperor's New Groove who... Oh. Keep re- we just saw your in-laws. <laughs> we sent them yeah. up to your house. Oh my <laughs> <God>. <laughs> that they, might have been. I, I they like look like the same the, character models. <laughs> regardless, like I like to pretend that Disney does, you know, intertwine all the movies. So like I'm going to pretend that that is intentional and that is the like correlation between the films because I would think that's really cool. That's a wonderful little Easter egg, yeah, if it, if it isn't intentional. Yeah, I could be totally wrong about my speculation. It could be a reference to some of the classic animators too, like the Nine Old Men. Uh, two in particular, Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston were known for working together. Um, so uh, that, that could be what that, that is as well. Um, I don't know, just some notes that I took as I was doing sort of the watch through uh, one, one other thing I noted was uh, the Kal-El moment. Uh, you know, she, she um, has the little th- <laughs> uh, piece of hair coming down like Superman. Oh. Um, yeah. I don't know. I thought that was... I funny. noticed that too. I was like, oh, that's she loosens a little hair and likes it that way. That's <laughs> nice. She's got to do her own <laughs> thing. Um, individuality. But every princess wants to know what makeup wipes she uses. <laughs> like, what are Mulan's makeup wipes? I'm dying, and I've been waiting for 20 years. Jillian said there are a lot of memes about that scene. <laughs> there are so many memes about that scene. Yeah, I mean, there's so many it. memes about the makeup wipes. Like, like everyone's like, where? Like, when can Sephora like get on this? Honestly, you'd think one one swipe. Are you <laughs> kidding me? <laughs> like, I just rubbed off five eyelashes yesterday trying to get it off. <laughs> We need help. I know they do that whole opening number of like bring honors to us all where they're like caking it on layer after layer. And it's like interesting to me that all it took was one little sleeve to like slick it all off and turn her into a man. (laughs) Yeah. Someone should do (laughs) it. If I did that, I would have like dirt and like grime and like three year old mascara like bulging out of my eyes. And uh, whatever ink she uses on her wrist for those notes ends up just totally smothering the matchmaker's face. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Like, I guess she should use her <laughs> eyeliner. Yeah. One of the funniest see- uh, scenes uh, in Disney animation, I think, that matchmaker scene is just iconic. I like the, the grandmother scene. She causes a medieval car crash. <laughs> oh, when she crosses the Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And the I love to like going back to the makeup part when she goes, this is what you give me to work with. Well, honey, I've seen worse. I love that part. That's so yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, Mulan, I mean, she's, uh, you know, she's pretty cute. You know, she's attractive. She's what, 16 years old in this film. 
Um, and she's not unattractive, certainly. And she even gets described as too skinny by the matchmaker. No such thing. <laughs> in the 90s. Now, now it's like everybody's good. But in the 90s, like skinny was like the thing to be had. Yeah. The tiny waist is that's a lyric from the song. Um, yeah, that's it's very they really lay it on thick with the norms and expectations that are thrust upon women, especially. And it, it almost seems like could this could this culture really exist? Were people ever this harsh? I definitely think it exists. Actually, when I was listening to the reflection song, I mean, obviously, it's a different time and we're in a different country. But I started thinking about like, all the little girls who watch things like TikTok or Instagram or whatever, the same way Mulan was looking at these other young women. And it's so easy to like compare yourself to perfection porcelain dolls. And this story is still so relevant. Like we want to pretend that society is like at this point of accepting every body type, every skin color or whatever. But the reality is like there's still so much pressure on girls. I mean, I can only speak for girls, but girls to like look a certain way and act a certain way. And I mean, we, this lesson is still so relevant. And I actually pulled up the lyrics for reflection because I was like, I just want to be sure I get it right. But she just wants to like be herself. And I don't know. I thought it's still so powerful even though we're in a different country in a different time, like it's still like spot on that song for a lot of people, I think. And I, as a kid, did relate. I mean, there was probably that sense of like while watching, well, when anytime like the girl, like Rome, like beautiful song comes on, it's like, oh, this is the girly part. But I, I loved that. I love the song and I, I have always loved the song and I, it will come back into my mind from time to time. And at the time as a kid, like I just remember like relating to a character and her situation. I didn't see her as like, oh, this is a girl with a girl problem. And I don't get it. It was like, no, this is someone who is being expected to be something. And mm -hmm. yeah, like as like, cause I didn't, I mean, my thing as a boy was that like everyone, all my friends and then all the boys played sports like all the time, nonstop. And that just wasn't me. And so to mm -hmm. see someone like wonder where they fit in and all of this um and you know she goes to the to the manly camp and all the men are the, you know they're expected to act a certain way and thinking like well i don't i don't want to be like them either like um you know there's a people can get they can they can go outside a box um so yeah um relatable regardless of of gender certainly don't you guys feel like this is a pretty like mature topic with not like the uh philip sorry again no, you put no. this in your notes but like for the 90s you know cross-dressing or i mean right now like it's a really big topic obviously like trans and like how people express their gender identity and their sexuality or whatever i feel like they really broached like a huge discussion you know for a little kids movie that i didn't really think about at the time but like Dawson said, it isn't just like the girl feeling pressure, but it's also these guys feeling pressure to like be warriors. And like the guys end up dressing like girls to get through the gate towards the end. And she's dressing like a guy to like get in the army in the beginning. And that's a pretty like bold storyline to throw out there, especially for a G rated movie. I think it's less about the 
trans community and more about cross-dressing for gender identities to be in certain environments. So like, it's not, I don't think it's them saying like, I want to be a boy or I feel like I was born as a girl because um, the trans community people are, it's so hard to word things correctly, to be honest. I know, but I was nervous it's, too. It's okay. It's just, um, I think there's a difference between Mulan dressing a certain way to be able to use it more as, that's more of a disguise, whereas a trans person would feel that from the inside. So they would feel like, I am a man, I am a woman, and I was born in the wrong body, or I was born this way, and I just don't have the, sorry to say it on the podcast, genitalia <laughs> to make me um, scientifically that way accepted. Um, so this, I think, is more of the they need to sneak past the guards so they're going to dress like a woman or a man. And it definitely was more acceptable to use it as kind of like a joking topic in the 90s than it is today because then we had far more lessons to learn of these things. But I think it is what Jody said in a way that they are presenting a topic that could be seen as sensitive. But I just think that Disney was using it more as a disguise and less as an identity, which is kind of a fine line for the transgender community. Yeah, I mean, you can take the analogy as far or, you know, as as little as you want to take it. I mean, it's, uh, you know, in this case, it's just a matter of, Mulan um, trying to make a, a sacrifice for her father, um, it's out of her devotion to him that she makes this decision, and uh, and she does feel like she's being forced into a role that she's not very willfully um, aligning with. But you know, it almost seems like in a culture this stringent, it would be hard to find any desire to go along with all that you know rigid rules and and regulations so so willingly and i mean it would you would think it would naturally tend to provoke a lot of rebellion which i'm sure it did well right because she is forbidden from doing a lot of things and or forbidden from entering war at all and then her old disabled father is forced to so that's another absurd requirement on an individual that is just it's it's so much to ask and is in need of a of a second look you know should you be sending you know what dawson i just i just thought of when you said that you can keep your thought did i interrupt you too quick no, no, oh, no, no, so go. Hard. It's so hard. I think um, it's interesting to me. So 1998 again, I think even now we have lots to learn about how um, just gender per se. So women don't make as much as a man per the, per dollar. And there's all of these different, um, you know, sexist and classist and different things that divide us both gender-wise, race-wise, all these things. And I have a feeling, not to deter my own country, but that in 1998, not our parents per se, but probably plenty of parents were like, oh, those girls in China like aren't treated fairly. Interesting, because <laughs> interesting that it's 20 years later, we still have not figured this out, and I'm still making 76 cents here. 
So what's going on? <laughs> so not to get too political, but I just like to say that I think it's very eye-opening, but still a problem. So why is Disney figuring this out in 1998? And they have a long way to go, but why are we not as a whole realizing that this is not China? This is not a cartoon f- farce. This is like a real world, world topic. And like TikTok. Yeah. I think about that all the time when people are like, oh, these are kids' movies. These are kids' stories. Like, whatever, Disney. Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, like, sweetie, like, look at the big underlining journey and like these big plots and these big things they're approaching. Like, they're touching base on issues that, like, and conversations that need to be had and like needed to be had in the 90s like need to be had now so like yeah sorry I'm just like chiming in but I don't even remember what Dawson was saying but I agree with Hannah <laughs> um, it, 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 it's a the, the film depicts a, a very strict and, and rigid culture in an ancient right. land where you know I mean life was brutal and harsh back then for everyone um and, well, yeah, re- yeah, repression tends to provoke rebellion, especially in such a comparatively permissive culture like ours. Uh, back in these ancient medieval times, there was no concept of modernity or post-modernity, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> post-modernism. You know, like mm-hmm. it, people probably had a much easier time just assimilating and thinking of themselves as part of a larger unit, you know, part of their community rather than as individuals. Well, that's um, all they so, had their, yeah. com- their community. They didn't have the internet. They didn't, you know, I mean, there was mm-hmm. travel certainly and an adventure. Um, and also things were, you know, very between time periods and different areas of the world, you know, you'd see completely different things. And interestingly mm-hmm. enough in the original ballad of Mulan, it's not, she's, already been trained in martial arts she's already a warrior she when she goes off to war in place of her father like her parents support her there's like no that's not this big issue it's like oh yeah sure go ahead and she serves in the military for 12 years and then is offered a position by the emperor and then at the end like her um, comrades they go home with her and she puts on her old girl clothes and goes back to woman life. And they're all just like, oh, you were a woman the whole time? Wow. <laughs> um, it's, they, there isn't that, this, that there was yeah. this like, you know, women had to, had to, can't do, can't do. It was yeah. sort of just this novelty thing. You'd think they'd all be like angry. I know. Yeah. Not in the, not in the Wait, original pause. Paused for like the audience and for Jody. So like you just referenced the Ballad of Mulan. Some of us are lost. Was there like a Mulan story before this movie came out that I am unaware of? Did anyone read the link that I posted? I don't. Oops. I didn't look at your length, but the Ballad I read the notes. Mulan is the ancient folk tale that the Disney film is based on. It was written in the fourth century of uh, in northern China and the way. A Northern Way, it was called at the time. And then there were since several Mulan stories. It's it's the Robin Hood sort of thing where, you know, there's this original tale of Robin Hood and then it gets a different version and a different version and they add details and they add characters. And yeah, and there was like one of the latest, like big definitive versions was a play written in the 16th century by a, a, a Chinese playwright. Um, and so that adds even more details. But the original Ballad of Mulan is this very bare bones story. It's only like, 62 or like it's like 30 couplets or something and it just tells this very simple um story about 
Mulan situation. She's sitting at a loom. She's thinking, gee, it's rough that my father is supposed to go to war because he's injured and my brother's too young. I'll go. And then it just describes her taking off with her horse and she's got her. And then it describes all the different weapons she uses and the, and the army she fights and serving for 12 years, getting offered a position by the emperor. But the whole reason she did it was for her father and her family. So she goes back to her family and it's about uh, filial piety and, and family and honor and stuff like that. Anyway. Honestly, I love that. And I'm happy you gave us the brief summary. Ollie is the best plus. What, what was that? Sorry, you cut out a little bit. Oh, I just said that um, honoring your family is a really great lesson. And I think one that lots of movies lack. And I think it's a very good princess attribute to want to bring honor to your family. And what does Mushu say? Like dishonor to your cow, dishonor to your he whatever he says. Family dishonor. <laughs> yeah. Um, Shoot! I, uh, I oh my gosh, it's so funny. He's like so funny. I forgot how hilarious he was. And let me tell you, Philip, my niece, her dreams came true when I said. Gracie, I have to um, watch Mulan for my podcast that I do. And her whole face lit up. She was like, what? <laughs> she was so excited. That's awesome. Um, if, I, if I may, just quick, um, there's uh, something I, I noticed for the first time. Um, the scene where they discover, where uh, Captain Shang discovers that his father's been killed, the general, and he gets the helmet and he stabs the sword in the snow and, and then puts his father's helmet on the sword. And then Mulan goes and she lays that doll down by it. I was like, there's a lot going on in the scene. I think I have the sense like that. There's a lot of like artistic intent in this imagery. And I sort of tried to like figure out what it might be. And, um, Captain Shang, he's so, it's so important to him that he live up to his father that he, you know, that like he, becomes basically his father and becomes a um, you know as strong and as brave and as you know a military leader um and then when he finds out his father's dead like that sorrow is so plain and mulan i i, I got that sense that, that she she's looking at him and seeing she's like that's exactly what i set out to do was to prevent what you're feeling right now um from happening to me and they sort of i don't know there's there's something that happens and he uh, I don't know, just mm -hmm. that like he puts his sword in uh, and then puts his father's helmet on top of that and Mulan puts the, the doll down and it sort of becomes, there's this like trinity of, I don't oh man, I, kind I, of, I lost it. But, yeah, the, yeah the like, two characters kind of... I'm fighting for my father the way that you would have fought for yours and I'm like, I'm here for you now and um, I don't know, it's just great. So, but, yeah, sorry. Move on. They, they really do make for a good pairing on screen. I mean, the, this movie doesn't get into the romance, but they they would have quite the, I don't know, awesomely romantic romance if that were allowed to flourish a little bit more. Well, he's the fiance in the sequel, is he not? <laughs> um, a let's sequel, forget that no exists. one's seen? I haven't seen, I don't remember. It, it literally doesn't exist. Okay. <laughs> uh, no. The, uh, yeah, the whole dynamic of well we we did talk about the original legend that dates all the way back to the, either the fourth or fifth century china 
Um, it doesn't make a big deal out of the fact that she's a woman other than, you know, she, none of her comrades knew, I guess she was a woman according to that uh, until after she returns home after over a decade. So who knows, maybe if she was discovered, that would have been an issue. Um, and, and she was similarly, um, and we're going to go into some full spoilers in this uh, podcast if you haven't seen Mulan, but hopefully everyone's seen it by now. But like at the end of the film, she's offered a council position by the emperor and there's a similar offer made in that original poem. Um, and she declines just like in this movie. Um, and um, I know some feel that that maybe doesn't push the whole you know, feminist message uh, as well as it should in, in this film for her to just kind of revert to her, you know, original role as a female in, in this um, medieval society uh, that, that she should have taken that uh, council position. But um, I don't know, I, I, I related to that moment, um, that, you know, the fact that it... Um, it was more true to the original story as well. Kind of makes sense. Um, but yeah, I don't know. And, and who knows, like in a future uh, sequel, shall we say, you know, she could always um, go back to the the life of uh, being, um, you know, of politics, I guess you could say. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be a counselor or advisor to the emperor. I'd probably be a eunuch. <laughs> it's a dangerous business being an emperor's counselor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't go into all the intricacies. Yeah, the eunuchs, um, you know, yeah. It's it's all very, um, yeah, uh, intriguing. <laughs> the, the Chifu character is great, uh, played by James Hong. Um, back home, he has a woman like no other, he says. <laughs> and I then love the, all the lyrics really to that song. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, a girl yes. who speaks her mind, and they're all like, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> it's like a frat house. Beef, pork, chicken. <laughs> yeah, feminists don't like that song. <laughs> oh, what? Oh, po, po, that's great. Yeah, po, uh, Chien Po, he's obsessed with food. Jillian loves that song too. I love Just it. It's honestly such it. a good song and so it's underrated. To be honest, Mulan mm -hmm. as a film is underrated. I know we already kind of touched on that, but like seriously. Yeah, no, I I, uh, I love it. I wish it maybe were a little more fleshed out in some areas. You know, it can't be too explicit with the action. That's why I'm excited <laughs> for this live action film. That's why I think this film like, you know, can, deserves another and it's helped by the fact that like it's that Robin Hood you, you, you can't you can tell as many Robin Hoods as you want I feel like you can tell as many Mulans as you want um as well do you think um, that um there will be a sequel of some sort or a mini series or something that stems from this mm. I'm I'm afraid that people won't buy it on Disney plus like versus going to the movies because it is something that I think families would want as like an outing. And that's kind of the fun of a new movie. It's part of it. I don't know. Is it coming out in theaters on September 4th? Like some theaters or? I thought it was only no. Disney Plus. Not in the US. I don't think. I think they really are trying to just yeah. push this special promotion through Disney Plus. Um, it could be successful. Just like Trolls 2 was sure. very successful. 
um, and that was just a purely digital release when that came out. I mean, I'm pretty prepared. Like, if I can't go see this movie in the theaters, like, I'm so excited for it that I'd pay. I mean, for thirty, I'd really mm-hmm. love it if they sent me some popcorn in the mail at least. Sure. Um, but I think. Well, you and I. Yeah. I think it's geared towards families. So let's say a family That's of four. True. You're gonna spend more than thirty dollars at a movie theater. So I think that's 100%. That's all Disney's usual marketing is for families of four. If you look at like park tickets and that type of stuff, it's like two adults and two kids. So if you think about it, unless you go on $5 Tuesday, you're going to spend that. Really, you would anyways, if you're dumb and you don't sneak in the snacks, like here, (laughs) you can make a fun night of it in quarantine, $30. So like, let's say each ticket would be what? $7.50? I'm not very smart. Like seven fifty, right? Uh, yeah, roughly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's not a movie theater. That's would be way more. That's ha- that's half of a box of M and M's. No, you're exactly right about all of that. I was just thinking about myself, but no, you get to own this forever and <laughs> um and share it with you know like an infinite number of people because you know how many people are on our Disney Plus yeah. account. Um. So well, well, actually, yeah, that's a good question. If like. We've got eight user profiles. I mean, if, we, Dawson, if you you're buy get it, everyone gets it, right? Telling Disney that you have so many profiles yes. on your account. It, we haven't broken any rules to do that, did we? We have um, a bunch of names. Seven. I think it's seven. That seven. Okay. Want to know something? Yep, so I'm on point. Jody's Disney Plus. Oh yep. Yeah. Smart. We're it's we're a family. They're about family. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what the what the box office revenue is of, of doing this because Trolls was successful, but I haven't heard of anything else being that. But that's because I haven't looked, I guess. Do you think comparably to Trolls, like I think it would do very well now that you mentioned that? Yeah, it'll it'll be big, um, not as big probably as a traditional theatrical release, because uh, I mean all the Disney live action films have just done gangbusters at the box office for the most part uh dumbo was kind of a disappointment um but well i i guess all the ones that were based on renaissance film you know aladdin's huge lion king was huge uh beauty and the beast is huge um jungle book also pretty big um but that was very effects driven um this you know it's it's not quite the level of a Lion King, um, but um, I think it's something a lot of people are curious about. They, they'll, a lot of people are excited about the action element. Uh, people who love martial arts films, uh, you know, the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, you know, I would think you're drawing films. fans of a lot of other genres to the. This is a Disney film, like. You know, I, I, that would be my assumption because yeah, I'm coming into this excited on so many different levels. Like the fact that it's a Disney adaptation is the least. The fact <laughs> that you know it's a it's a martial arts medieval war action movie. Something I do think yeah. will work against this film though, isn't it? Not a musical. Oh my Live gosh! Action. And the music yeah. is what I love so. Much. I mm-hmm. live for the mu- the music in this film, mm-hmm. and. What do you think about that, Philip? Oops, sorry. Oh my gosh. I was just going to ask him that, actually. I I think this movie will work better as a non musical. (gasps) Philip, my big number. I'll make a man out of you. (laughs) Philip. You know, as long as they don't do something dumb where they have a scene where they're like, 
where some guy says, I'll make a man out of you. And they then will. like, they kind of half-ass their way through it. Like in Jungle Book where Christopher Walken. Oh. Just, oh. I, I, I want, I literally wanted to blow my brains out in the theater when I was watching Jungle, Jungle Book. <laughs> I was so embarrassed by every single time they like, fate like hinted at a drunken version of the original music it was embarrassing um so it'd be really awkward if they did something my hope i'll just say this i think i'm interrupting somebody but i hope they just because like it'll be nice to have two things we'll have the beautiful disney animated like perfect film with all the music that you love the story that you love concise and tight and wonderful and then we'll have this really cool live action action film that is more serious more adult toned perhaps and then I want them to take the entire soundtrack and then just make it a beautiful instrumental score where it like has uh, themes and callbacks to all the songs we love, but it's just, it's done in a more at, like atmospheric way that just like fits. No, the I want them yeah. to sing all the songs and this time maybe not Donny Osmond. Mm -hmm. well, as much <laughs> as I love stop. him, like it's a little, uh, what are you thinking Disney? Mm -hmm. Hmm? Uh, I agree with Dawson. If they can bring in some like orchestration, symphonic like pieces that kind of call to the original, like I'll be fine with that. I think I think the music, the singing, it could be a distraction. But you know what? This movie's like pretty intense as a musical. One scene I wanted to like call to everyone's attention is like when they have one like rocket left and they're like looking on the horizon to see if there's any more like coming and you, it starts with one and then like the, they start like you look at the mountaintops and there's literally thousands of them that is going to be so intense in real life because even in the animated movie I looked over at Ryan and I was like this movie is pretty scary for like little kids like there's 10 oh, yeah. versus literally a million and like thank god the avalanche I mean they figured out there's an avalanche that's but why it's, it's PG pretty intense so maybe the music would be a little and hopefully the live action no but i'm saying even the animated was pretty oh. like the animated one's pretty intense it was so like, it, yeah it is intense those moments are pretty chilling oh gosh and then the moment where he mulan sorry ping finds the doll on the ground and you know that the little girl has been like murdered do you know what I'm talking about? Some of these scenes are very sombering. Yeah, Kashan, you says, let's pay a visit to the village. There's a little girl who will be missing the doll. Let's give it back. And you know exactly what he means. That's so sad. I it's... actually didn't know what they meant until right now. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's there's, so There's sad. a lot of implied death in this movie. You Is there any some, blood? You see some corpses. My lack of like depth didn't work out just then. Dawson just That's ruined okay. everything for me. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, there's blood when Ping holds her. Um, she gets slashed by uh, Shan Yu. Um, well, so you know what you know what he means when he says, "How many men does it take to yeah. deliver a message?" Right? And then the guy says, "Okay, but I didn't know he's gonna kill the little girl. That's so sad." He's probably one of the worst Disney villains. I actually met him when I went to Disney World. Like I met his character. Like he was what? walking. I have a picture hugging him. Yeah. They have a Shan yes, Yu walking not around anymore, Disney not anymore, <laughs> but they ever. They did, because I remember like he was, it was like him and Mushu, they were like two separate lines and like the Mushu line was too long. So I was like, oh, like go meet that one. And there's a picture of me hugging him. This was probably <laughs> when I was, you know. That is So legendary. I'm just saying like, would you guys agree that he's not one of the scariest of all Disney villains? Mm -hmm. 
very intimidating. Mm, I hate so, the most probably the D- Disney villain in um her or in Tarzan. Clayton. Um, Clayton. Clayton. Because even after he knows the gorillas are not going to hurt him, he just still shoots them. Um, yeah, Clayton's idiot. one of the most despicable He's by far. So annoying. Like, honestly, are you kidding me, Clayton? Like, mm-mm, swipe left. I hate him. Uh, especially because you're like not quite sure about him for the whole movie and then so he's that makes his good Gaston style where like he's a complete psycho but honestly like Mm -hmm. there's hope yeah is Sean you based on someone you said a a Taliban right Philip so are are these wars based off of actual wars that were happening um kind of Uh, there were some like foreign invaders around that time from like the Mongolian region of uh, China the yeah attila the hun i mean we have the modern day country hungary which is linked uh linguistically to the word hun uh, that we find here but but like the huns of eastern europe can sort of be traced also back to mongolia there's the ancient mongolian Xiongnu people um, who are basically you know, what became the Huns, um, it is speculated. Um, and then they based, I think, the design of Sean Yu off of a lot of, you know, typical depictions of Attila the Hun or, or what is often imagined as, you know, the Huns who are very, like, barbaric or they're depicted as, like, a very uh, barbaric and um, primitive kind of culture, a warlike culture. So, so they're they're a bit of a caricature, uh, an unfair caricature, maybe. Uh, Sean Yu's got those crazy black uh, sclera eyes. <laughs> it's those eyebrows, just the winged, like yeah, delicious. I mean, they do a, a pretty good job not caricaturing Asian people in the animation here. I mean, I mean they have to keep the animation simple. It's a traditional two D hand drawn film, um, but. Um, I, I don't know. There really isn't anything too problematic with how they depict the culture or anything. Um, the Huns are just sort of a generic, like, wild people from the north, like the wildlings in Game of Thrones. Um, and, and even Shan Yu, like, if you're familiar with the warg uh, people from Game of Thrones who are capable of, like, seeing through the eyes telepathically of, uh, of animals and other people um there's a deleted scene where sean yu is shown to have this ability with his falcon which is kind of cool oh i don't i don't i might have missed that the falcon is also terrifying yeah i know what you're talking about with the falcon and the falcon is iconic when he comes in and like swoops away the sword you know how the sword was supposed to show that um attila um sean Sean. yeah (laughs) <laughs> Oops. The villain was dead. And then like all of a sudden you hear like Ca-ca! and like the hawk, the, the thing comes flying down and like grabs the sword and like they look over, it's Peter Pan. No. <laughs> Not Wouldn't that be a funny TikTok? No. <laughs> oh <laughs> I cracked myself up. Yeah. Um 
Uh, oh, very quick. I want to say I hope the live action version uh, fixes uh, the scene that I hate. The only scene I hate in the whole film is the uh, the rescue when the horse and Ping and Captain get knocked off the cliff and she shoots an arrow and it lands in his hands and they they haul up this horse and these two people. It's the stupidest. It's it's you've got, like I was believing a lot of like what was happening, even though it's an animated like fantasy film. Like it bought me in a lot of aspects of realism and then they just throw it all out the elevator. I, yeah, I described it in my notes as a missing link-esque gag, that rescue of Mulan and Shang. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is kind of crazy, the whole arrow sequence and how, how she's able to secure that rope to her horse um, in midair <laughs> like that. You know, yeah, you have to kind of go with some of that suspension disbelief that animation will often demand of its viewers and that's that's kind of one of the hang-ups that i have with animation at times too you know there's just the the brevity of it because animation is costly so it's hard to really flesh it out too much you know it, it does seem kind of brief how this is just such a tiny group of soldiers that mulan is with uh, having to go up against this massive horde and then um you know they only have like how long have they trained <laughs> aren't there other soldiers who could maybe fill it fill in you know some of the slack well it's it's mushu <laughs> who gets them yeah in that situation in the in to begin with yeah right? he seems hell-bent on getting this tiny detachment of novice soldiers to the front lines i i guess maybe because mushu has mystical powers and knows he he's on like a desk you know a mission from destiny to regain his or reclaim his honor as an ancestor so maybe he's just super bullish about the situation that was something i noticed more this time the parallel of mushu's journey and mulan's journey and um how mushu's all out for himself and and she's out for you know her father and for the right yeah. reasons they even say that like verbally, but as a kid that I just didn't You know, notice. I did also, I also noticed more of Mushu's like, almost like manipulation that he takes over her. Yeah, definitely more this time. As a kid, I was like, haha, he's such a funny dragon. Like, that's so funny. And it is. <laughs> it's rough. It's funny. Yeah, well, he is the repeat performance by Eddie Murphy, which uh, he's definitely like, I would say a Robin Williams character or a, a caliber actor. So smart to cast someone like that to help carry the film. But like the fact that Shrek would go on to become the highest grossing animated franchise ever. And he's the co-lead doing the same performance kind of noteworthy. <laughs> the same, that's funny. I guess they are. That is pretty clever comparison. It's even he uses the same voice, like his same. Yeah, I mean, it's Eddie Murphy's voice, you know. You, you, sure. You wouldn't hire him if you didn't want him to do his classic shtick. Why not, Philip? Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the Asian cast in this film, not not all the characters are played by Asians. You know, Sean Yu uh, played by Miguel Ferrer. I thought, Jody, for a second, you were going to say you ran into Miguel Ferrer at Disney <laughs> at Disney <laughs> as a child and she was like oh my god Miguel it's me Jody <laughs> but uh, uh they're they're significant um you know you have 
Harvey Firestein as Yao, you know, famous Jewish Broadway. Yeah, I think Disney even now has lots and lots and lots and lots of work to do in that category. Yeah. Like I mentioned earlier, Donny Osmond, like, oh, I didn't know that Donny Osmond was Asian. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Yeah, he. How Asian is Marie? Huh. <laughs> yeah, Donny Osmond's white as can be, but he's only the singing voice. Uh, B. D. Wong is the speaking voice for Shang. Broadway, Broadway, Broadway. B. D. Wong. Do you guys know? <laughs> yeah. Oops. Continue. Uh, I was just gonna say, like, I know we're not trying to like compare because we haven't seen the live action yet, but I am curious, like, as far as casting went, um, for the live action, have you guys heard if it's pretty authentic and they're trying to stick with, you know, rep presenting it correctly as they went into this project. Maybe that's a given, but I don't know if that was a yeah. conversation that people were having. I mean, even if they weren't originally intending it, they shouldn't come out with it if they aren't. Everyone, okay. Everyone's Chinese as far as I know. They might have a few like Japanese and Korean actors in there. And I know when the movie Red Cliff came out, there was some controversy in China because a Japanese actor was playing a right. Chinese mm -hmm. character. Yeah. Oh, which, you know, a U.S. audience. I was just curious about that. Since we're talking about the voice, the voice actors, I was like, I wonder how this, how they did with um, casting the actual. I mean, thing. Mulan is portrayed by two actors. Uh, I mean, the new, the new Mulan is, I, I can't say if there's a single non-Asian actor in that film. Probably not. But like. Because they're, they're trying to make a Chinese period yeah. piece, essentially, like a. a mm -hmm. Yeah, but in this film, it would be. Uh, in the original, it's Ming-Na, Ming-Na Wen, uh, who plays the speaking voice in Mulan. And then uh, Leah Salonga, vo uh, singing voice of Jasmine, returns to do the vocals. Which is so iconic that she is two Disney princesses. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. oh, <laughs> okay. And she's Filipina. Um, so and you got uh, Mr. Miyagi uh, as the emperor, Pat Morita. Um, you, you know, you have um, George... <laughs> I love that movie. George Takei as the first ancestor. Um, hey, yeah, uh, Mulan's mother, Frida Foshen, uh, and her, her father, um, Soon Tech O. Uh, Jerry Tondo plays Chien Po. Getty Watanabe plays Ling. Um, James Shigeta plays. General Lee pretty much rounds it out. It's surprising there aren't more, um, but that just wasn't necessarily the priority that it is now back in 1998. Which goes to show that even mm -hmm. giant companies like Disney can learn and learn and learn and learn and learn. I uh, guess that concludes pretty much our little discussion here on Mulan. Um, anyone have, have any other burning thoughts my last little tidbit is i've realized um like i've said for the 50th time this is my niece's favorite movie and as a kid i really didn't appreciate it so much but watching how much she loves that movie and the lessons that it's teaching little girls i do hope it gets a second kickback and i do hope that her as a character maybe gets like a little Disney spinoff, even if it's for like two years or something like that. Kind of like the Tinkerbell fairy spinoff where she could introduce different things to make kids more comfortable with different cultures and different ways because China does have a very vastly different way of life than America does. 
and I know that Disney's all over the world, but I just think um, in diversity, Disney does need to have another Asian princess. And I do think that Mulan is a really great example for kids. So if they want to stem from something that they already have, that would be a great idea. And I think Mulan is a really great example. And this was a really great movie. I say bring, I, yeah, well, okay. bring on Mulan, the Disney Plus series. <laughs> I would love a Plus series. Um, I think, you know, revisiting this movie, it, I'm excited that this is the one we decided to talk about kind of getting back into the podcast because it just reminds me of like the value that these animated films have. I mean, and the power that they have through their songs and through their journeys. So, I mean, and it's a boring note, but I'm just really happy that we're back talking about these things and that we started with Mulan because, like I said, she worked up the ranks for me um, from when I first saw it to watching it today. Yeah, the, uh, as, I, as I wrote here, um, well, the emperor bowed to a woman. Finally, she can get some respect. <laughs> Is that, that, that's what it takes. Yeah, I was like, wait, did I miss that no, I've, is that a line from the film? It's just everybody's blank. <laughs> Nobody like, knows what film. <laughs> you know how Mulan she, she can't get any respect. Uh, so I'm trying to do a bit. Uh, I can't. I don't name? get no respect. Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield bit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like and, and <laughs> Dawson, is that if, a line? If from she the isn't film? technically a princess, uh, you know the fact that she is bowed to by the leader of her empire essentially um at least counts for something i would have to say so she she's quite the hero she is she's quite the hero quite the role model in a lot of aspects from family to to everything else cool well a loving daughter a brave warrior savior of a kingdom mm-hmm. um well, thank you all. Uh, Mulan, a great film. Check it out if you haven't. Uh, and yeah, uh, stay tuned for our coverage on more Mulan uh, once the live action film debuts on Disney+. Plus. Uh, follow the podcast. Uh, we're online at thodcast.com, um, Twitter at thodcast, Instagram at thodcast. Uh, listen to us on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and uh, Google Podcasts. And uh, thank you all for joining. Um, I guess, uh, Jody, uh, is there anywhere people can find you? Yeah, you guys don't need to follow me, but if you do, I'm going to post up that picture of me uh, meeting Sean, who uh, it's Jody, J O D I, Pulaski, P O L A S K Y on Instagram. And you can find me here at the podcast. I'll be back and I'll be like more tuned up and ready because I was a little rusty today. <laughs> Hannah? Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Hannah Smart, which I am very, very, very active on. Otherwise, you can find me on Instagram, which is Hannah with an H, Lee, L-E-I-G-H, ever after like fairy tales. <laughs> Dawson. I'm Dawson Elke, and you can find me in your dreams. Um, no, I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm, I'm, don't follow me on social media. <laughs> well, I don't use it. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but uh, check out uh, Shadow of the Conqueror, the movie project that Dawson will be in. Uh, it's a medieval fantasy film. Yeah, search that on Facebook, uh, Shadow of the Conqueror, and on YouTube. And Oh, my gosh, Dawson. I'm so proud of you. Yes, everybody go follow that project. It's going to be epic. Oh, thanks, Jody. No, I'm not, e- I'm not even kidding. Like, th- that's going to be so good. That We'll have, like, a whole new episode discussing, like, Dawson's big opportunity soon because that is, like, maybe even more epic than Mulan. All right. Yes. I know it's not. I'm, well, <laughs> the, what what the what the team is doing, the the producers, the production staff, and the and the, what they're trying to do, the passion and ambition behind the project, that's epic. Me being involved is not as epic as the entirety of Mulan, not by a mile. Let us but. have our fun, Dawson. <laughs> I I can't allow it. I won't allow adoration. Uh, well, thank you so much, <laughs> Hannah. Uh, Jody Dawson, this is so awesome to reconnect with uh, all of you. I know the quarantine and coronavirus, I mean, it's sort of dampened my inspiration a bit. And so we've been negligent in uploading the podcast regularly, but um, we'll hopefully get right back in the swing of things now. Uh, I, I'm back in Minnesota, and so I've got a little bit more time on my hands. And um, so I'll be uh, doing, putting some extra work into this whole endeavor here. Uh, in the meantime, um, you all have a wonderful week. I can't wait to uh, see you all again. And-, and talk about the live action Mulan. It'll be great to talk about. I don't know if it'll be great. I hope it will be. Have a wonderful week, magical day, and warm hugs, everyone. Flamio. Dawson, say Flamio. Flamio! Flamio Hotman! (laughs) (laughs) All right, perfect.